Hello, welcome back to Unapologetic. We are again Anna, Maria and Sara, and we are coming back with the second episode of Unapologetic. Today we continue with the lens of gender, but this time we are looking at the representation of gender in the media. We'll introduce some theory by Theodore Adorno, Max Horkheimer and Stuart Hall. With that theory, it will be easier for us to analyze certain examples of representation of gender in the media, particularly transphobic representation and what is called the male gaze. Just as last time, we want to make sure to give you some brief disclaimers that we are, again, sociology students and we don't really have answers for everything. We just want to create discussion about these issues and that we, again, do not talk about any groups and we are just giving our own opinion based on some of the theory we have read uh, ourselves. Uh, we also want to highlight that although we'll be talking about mostly transphobic representation, there's a lot more that exists within representation. We'll also talk about it in later months. Uh, but just keep in mind, there's a lot more to talk about, but we only have about 40 minutes this time. So we'll do our best to give a small teaser of what there is to talk about, about all these issues. And we want to acknowledge, of course, the legacy of trans people of color, particularly trans black women. Have you heard the news today? The world's become a better place. I wonder how. And everybody sings in peace. There's only one thing that we need. It's unapologetic. Yeah, so talking about representation, have you guys heard of the nomination James Corden received for the Golden Globes? I saw it and I thought it was pretty questionable because he is barely an actor, first of all. <laughs> but also, I haven't watched the movie, but it seems like it's quite a stereotypical gay person to be portrayed. And then he's getting a global uh, Golden, Globe. Golden Globe nomination for it um, while he's representing a group that he's not really part of. So I thought that was quite kind of questionable. Yes, and actually we've seen this happening for years, not just with James Gordon, but so many actors like um, portraying like trans roles and getting recognition, recognition, even when they're actually like cisgender men. Yeah, yeah. So you have, for example, the case of Eddie Redmayne um, in the Di- the Danish Girl. Yeah. Or Jared Leto in the uh, Dallas Buyers Club, I think. Yeah. And obviously, like, these actors are doing a great job in these movies, and everyone has recognized that. But at the same time, they are playing trans roles, which would be better represented by trans people. And it's not like we need to cancel them because it's not something that they did wrong themselves necessarily, uh, but it's more of a systemic issue, and we'll talk more about that in detail later on. So, yeah, we just want to talk about representation in media in general, like in movies and other things like that. And now we kind of want to like explain what is representation. Yeah, so if we're talking about representation today, we feel like it's important to first have some basic definition of what representation is. Um, today, though, we're defining representation as the portrayal of someone or something in a particular way. Yet it is not just a portrayal, but there is also a process of meaning making through language. So. Basically, it's about how a certain concept is put forward, but also the meaning that we're giving to that 
um, which kind of language we're choosing to use it because as we were talking last time, language is really important and we can't just overlook it. Mm -hmm. Yet it is important to make sure that we understand that there's multiple realities, so it would be incorrect to assume that there is one correct way to portray anything. And there's always like positionality of who is talking and what they're talking about. So that is also something to keep in mind. Yeah, and actually now that you say that, um, it really shows why representation is so important. Um, because of course, also because when you watch a movie, you always have to ask yourself, who was this movie made for? Like, was it for my community or was it for another community to mock my community? And yeah, especially when it comes to representation, we have to think about the fact that some people, that's the only kind of um, idea of another group that they're exposed to. So if they've never met a person from a certain community, well, in this case of the trans community, then of course they, the only representation that they have, the only idea that they have is from the media. And that's why the media has to be very, very careful when representing people. Yeah. And in another way, being represented as a particular group of people does uh, signify a validation and legis legitimacy of your own identity. So seeing yourself in art, uh, music, film, and all of these cultural venues does provide a sense of legitimacy that's also important for the people being represented other than just you know educating people that might not come along these groups as often you know yeah i think it's so like important i feel like we see it in social media a lot that like black people are so excited when they see a movie about them these days because and obviously now there's a lot of them about their own suffrage but also just seeing movies that are like uh, just representing them as people or as superheroes, like the was that movie? What is it called? I forget. Oh, the Black Panther. A Black Panther. Yeah. Was it? Yeah, the Black Panther. I remember, like my black friends, they got so excited to watch it, and I feel like representation really matters, and for little kids it matters, for people that are old it matters. It just really does matter, and I think that's why we want to talk about it today. Okay, I have this example of my grandma who watched this movie on Netflix about a trans girl and she was generally so curious and you know i wouldn't say excited but very curious to watch something different that she's never been exposed to before so having correct representation also helps exposing people as you were saying to realities they might have had a misconception of before but for that you also need the correct kind of representation that is the most truthful, I would say, to these people's reality rather than just, again, new stereotypes or more misconceptions. Mm, yeah. And as Maria was saying, um, it's not only about like showing the struggles that um, people in our community face, but also like just representation in terms of being there. You know, when it comes to trans people, you don't necessarily have to just show the transness of a person, but it's just get the character there, you know, show that they're part of the world, like they have a place there, they're valid. Okay, and now I think it's important to go back into a bit of sociological theory to kind of tie it together with what we're talking about. Um, and I wanted to talk about Adorno and Horkheimer. 
they were writing uh, around the time of World War II, and they, in the, the context they were living in, was um, media and like TV and radio were really used as a weapon by the Nazi regime to kind of brainwash people and there was a lot of like mass media and everyone was just having this one um, thing that they were listening to and that's what they were consuming. At the same time, they also moved to the United States and then they discovered a completely new kind of media. This kind of mass production and mass consumption of media was also very shocking and impactful in their writing. Yeah, and I think uh, their main point was to say that it, there really is a lot of power in who creates media and how people are going to perceive it because the people that have the power, the executives, the directors, the the casting people, all these people have a lot of power in representing and like kind of shaping the way people think in society. And uh, we thought that was really important to consider when we look at representation because they were the ones that first thought about it from a critical lens to kind of um, come up with the power of representation, how it really does matter in society. I think probably one of the most well-known concepts that they created is the culture industry. So it's this idea that culture and therefore, you know, movies, books, radio, this is kind of produced in this kind of industrial way in which you have a clear consumeristic logic behind it. Yes, absolutely. And it also sets a norm when it comes to who's there and representation. Um, so, for example, like through media, we kind of see white um, sees heterosexual as the like default. So when you're in that kind of position, you're seen as neutral. And of course, in the same way, we're also kind of like and I think this is part of the culture industry to laugh at bodies. So what we're talking today about trans representation, um, I think, and we see that in media so much, and especially by the fact that movies are most of the time created for cisgender people, we're taught about laughing at trans bodies. And that of course gets internalized, but by cisgender people, but also trans people. As we were talking before, this idea of a normal body, I think it's super important because it's really, really internalized. At least I see it in myself so much when I see these new movies that don't have white heteronormative cis characters. I feel like, oh, this is a liberal movie when it's actually just a movie about people that are just as normal as me, myself, a cis white woman is, you know? Yes, this is so true, Anna. And actually, like... Um, I don't know, every time we see movies depicting people that are considered the other, we see them as political movies, even though they're actually just movies, you know, we shouldn't be thinking of them as political. Yeah, I think uh, it's kind of important also to think about the fact that, like, the people that make these movies perceive themselves and their context as universal, and it's mostly, like, cis-heterosexual men, and um, I think that's an important factor to think about, that, like, the people that are in the rooms making the decisions are the ones that perceive their per positionality as universal and don't see anything wrong with the default body being their own. I think this then connects really well to the whole idea of representation that Stuart Hall created and he studied. And 
his idea of stereotypes, but maybe you can tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, Stuart Hall just kind of was uh, writing in his book about representation, about how stereotypes are reinforced through through media and how often, as you said, um, Sara, we are kind of taught through like laughing sounds and stuff like that to like laugh at people that are different. I remember in friends often like if someone if lesbians are mentioned for example they they're just there's just the laughing sound as if there's something funny about lesbians existing or something like that. So I thought yeah. Um so the way that uh, often people that are others are expressed in media are kind of stereotyped to be a specific way. And again as Sara said before it's really important to just have people that do not have to only show themselves as trans or as gay or as a woman being a woman. You know, there's a lot of depth in each individual and these aspects of their identity do not define them. And it's very beautiful to see movies that do represent people that are different, different in quotation marks, because obviously they're just just different from the default, which is apparently normal. yeah, it's important to see them being people rather than being trans or being gay, you know? Yeah, because as you were saying, then when you just attach this one label, which comes with a stereotype, you take away all of the possibilities for that character to actually, you know, show more than this stereotype. Yeah, and also I think it's important to talk about the fact like, Last month we were talking about how language really matters and it's kind of the same. If you have certain language that exists or if you have certain representations that exist and those do not change and they're always like uh, reinforced through certain new representations that kind of upheld them, then they're going to just keep existing and we will continue to see really bad ways of representing people that are others. Yeah, and of course, then, if you only have this kind of exposure to a community, then, of course, if you see a trans person or a gay person on the street, you're just going to see a parody of their existence, you know, of their identity. Therefore, why representation matters. Yes. You don't want to just see a stereotype. Absolutely, Anna. Yeah, I think that, yeah, I think that's the main part we want to, that's our main point today. Yeah, I think it's important to just look at the consequences of having bad representation. For example, like we said, it's very easy to uphold stereotypes and to create transphobia. Let's take cis actors playing trans roles. They are getting awards for being able to play a trans character and giving them life. But at the same time, uh, we're kind of holding up the idea that there is there are cis people that dress up or act a certain way to be trans. And we are not really holding on to the idea that there are trans people that just exist and it's not like a small part of their life. It's just part of who they are and it's not even necessarily as important as well. Yes, and then when these actors, they, they win Oscars, they, they go there in their uh, positionality of a cisgender man and they win the prize because they interpreted the life uh, and story of a trans person and there are so many trans actors out there and they're more than willing to tell their stories, you know. And still we're here um, having cisgender actors playing trans women. as kind of like to follow a narrative that at the end of the day a trans woman is just 
a man who dresses like a woman and it's totally dangerous. So I I totally feel what you say, Sarah. Uh, but then we also have to consider that there are certain situations in which it is really hard to get a person that's part of a minority to play certain roles. Uh, there is the example of this movie, Girl. Uh, it's a Belgian and Dutch movie, I believe. And it tells the story of a um, trans girl uh, who dances ballet. So the chances of getting a Flemish trans ballerina might be really low. And another thing that I was thinking is, it's great to give minorities the opportunity to express themselves in the media, but then also we need to be careful with the whole pigeonholing kind of thing of like, now you're only playing these at these roles and you won't get out of these roles, you know? Like, if you're trans, you only can play trans women, or if you are uh, whatever, you know? Like, it doesn't really matter, but that also is something that we have to be careful with. Yes, absolutely, Anna, and I really, really feel the argument. Um, but also, of course, we don't have to get lost in the whole cancel culture of movies and actors. It's a very systemic issue, as Maria was saying before. And also what you were saying about um, then the whole pigeonhole. Yes, of course, like, um, it doesn't mean that trans people can only play trans roles, but it does mean that they get the opportunity to t- to tell those stories. Yeah, I think it's just about uh, having like honest discussions within the community or within the industry of saying, you need to play this role. Do you understand the consequences? Because for trans people, it's not the same as like a cis man playing whatever, you know, it's it's different for them because then they they could be even in danger for playing a role or for expressing themselves. So, yeah. There is also definitely, I think, particularly in the arts, a whole idea of expressing oneself that in science, you don't really need to be, for example, like part of the community that you're studying because you're just, you you have this part of like, you know, being like an external observant and that also is a pro in science. But then when you are talking about the arts and I think media is a form of art in many ways, there is this whole idea of, expression and your own feelings and like um, this cathartic uh, purpose of art as well and I think in that sense it's only a trans person that can really experience and know what it feels like to be trans in a world that's predominantly cis. Yes um, and actually now that you say that um, talking about this I, I think everybody knows disclosure um, the documentary on Netflix and it's really good to talk about trans representation and actually to make a point about what you were, what you were just saying um, for example Eddie Raymond um, in Danish Girl is amazing at, at acting is a great actor but at the same time like if you got a trans person to play the role they did not have to fake the whole being trans you know like it was amazing in doing that, I'm not saying otherwise, just a trans person would have been amazing at telling the story. Yeah, so as we were saying throughout these past minutes, it's not about the actor being a bad actor or not being able to 
portray this character, it's about a systemic issue that in the media industry or the culture industry, as Adorno and Korheimer would call it, we are just not letting people from these minorities in, either as actors or I would also argue as directors, producers and executives who are the, those in power to decide what's going to be represented and what is not going to be represented. Yes, exactly, because that's the point. Like, At the end of the day, most of the producers, authors, um, everything, they're usually cisgender people, so they don't really know anything about the trans experience. So even when it comes to those kind of roles, we need more representation in that as well, because then you kind of see that representation in the um, roles that the actors are playing. Yeah, I think it's really important to think about because like even if the actor that's playing the role is not um, trans because they couldn't find them or something, it's still very important to have people around that can overlook the kind of representation that is taking place because people that are of a misrepresented minority can tell when it's wrong and when it's right. Still, I just want to bring another counterpoint here. Being part of a minority does not mean that you're gonna completely and um, that that you're not gonna represent them in a correct way. This is a stupid example, but Sex and the City was written by a gay man, and that thing is full of stereotypes. And yeah, I'm just putting it out there. That's also in the '90s, so you know it's a completely different time. But yeah, yeah, that's true. There's a lot of yeah. Just because you are from a minority doesn't mean that you are a saint. And that you know everything as well but yeah yes and also a reminder that just because you're part of the minority doesn't mean that you're forced to do any emotional labor um to tell the predominant group what to do and how to represent your community just a reminder out there you know another example of misrepresentation it's what it's called the male gaze, which it's the concept that I love because I hadn't kind of come upon this for so long and it makes so much sense to me now. But basically, this is a concept that was coined in 1975 by a film critic called Laura Mulvey. And it is pretty much that, you know, the male gaze is present in cinema when you're looking through the eyes of men probably cis heterosexual men and then you're looking at women so it's the body of the female being looked at while you're looking through the eyes of a cis heterosexual man to kind of put it into perspective and kind of make you understand it a bit more if you've never heard of it i think it's like uh easy to think about like in adverts and obviously in a lot of movies but them would be a bit harder to think about like how women are very much objectified um, in like car advertisements, for example, often we see them in close to cars, and for some reason, the um, company assumes that whoever is looking at it will want to get a car is a man and wants to have women that look really beautiful next to it. And yeah, it's the male gaze is basically like you represent something as if whoever is gonna be looking at it and whoever is making it is a man and often is like a man that likes women so it's also very heterosexual um i have also very heterosexual gaze yes and also we find a cisgender lens when we're looking at movies so to tie back to what we were saying um 
when we look at movies, you can see many movies that there is a cisgender lens, a cisgender uh, gaze. So we see a trans people as a as a trans woman as a man dressing like a woman, instead of looking at the entirety of a person as a trans woman. And in the same way that there is like this cis lens, there's also this hetero lens. I would say, when men look at women, women, women loving women. That's really complicated to say, but basically relationships of queer women, in which. In most media, I feel this is a little bit harder to see than the example that Maria gave with the advertisements. But in lots of movies and media, when we see two queer women, we just need to put them in this hetero role anyway, in which one of them acts like the man and one of them acts like the woman. And that is because this media, this movie, this TV series you're watching has probably been recorded with a male gaze or a hetero lens. Yes, and not only that, but also the very existence of a um, of two queer women in a movie sometimes. They are hypersexualized because they know the cisgender men are looking at the movie. And that's when you have to ask yourself, who is this movie for? Like, Is it for the queer community or is it for the straight cis man community? Yeah, I think it's really like uh, about fetishization a lot of the times. And obviously there's so many amazing movies that are created by women uh, that do portray like lesbian relationships really beautifully and real. But uh, in more mainstream media, I feel like we see a lot of women loving women in a very sexual and very like uh, either superficial or just, yeah, again, from the male gaze, which is not necessarily the super easiest to detect but uh, I feel like if you are from these communities uh, it's often easy to see something feeling wrong. Well now that Maria said about the objectification of women through the male gaze it's not only something about appearance but we find this in personalities as well like there's a very stereotypical um, just to tie back to whole as well um, stereotypical type of queer person, trans person, uh, woman in movies that we find and you can just tell that the male gaze is there. An example of this might be when there is a queer relationship and then you have to have a man, like you know this saying like who's wearing the pants in the relationship because even though it's a queer relationship so you don't necessarily have a man and a woman you still, well, you, I mean, we still need to put it in this, like, box of you will behave like a man and you will behave like a woman, whatever that means, actually. Yes, and this also happens in gay men couples. Um, And we see that, like, this reflecting in real life when people are like, oh, but who's the woman, who's the man? It kind of also ties back to heteronormativity, but also femphobia when it comes to queer women relationships. Because, for example, like, heteronormativity has taught us that women need to be feminine, men need to be masculine. So we know we're had when we see a gay couple, we're like, oh, but one needs to be the man, you know, one needs to be the woman. But it's really not like that. Like, most of the time, like, gender norms are not there. Yeah, so this is very much the male gaze telling us this is how relationships are supposed to be, this is how you act like a woman, you are 
either very feminine for my consumption or you are a lesbian and you're a butch and there is no in between. <laughs> so I feel like we right now have just mentioned so many examples with gay and lesbian and queer and bisexual and it feels very much that we're talking about sexuality but I think in these moments it's really hard to differentiate between sexuality and gender because performing your gender has a big impact with your sexuality and how you're perceived. It's very much of an intersectional concept so we feel it's unfair not to mention this even though it might complicate the conversation a bit more it's still something that's important to bring to the table and discuss. Intersectionality by the way in case you don't know is uh, just sort of the look of struggle from different uh, positions because for example if you are a black trans woman you're not just experiencing oppression for being a woman or for being trans but for being trans and a woman and black and so yeah just wanted to point it out in case you don't know what intersectionality means. So I think we didn't define femphobia when we just were talking about it but very briefly femphobia it's the hatred or yeah, I would say disrespect of all people who are perceived as feminine or effeminate regardless of their gender so you can be you know you can uh, identify as a man but still uh, perform in an, a feminine way and that's being hated upon yeah and also we see it a lot in the representation of women um, how a lot of the times uh, f- fashion or makeup or anything that is perceived very feminine as an interest is kind of looked down upon and seen as inferior. Anna, actually, now that you mentioned femphobia, um, we can tie back to heteronormativity and talk about like queer women and the fact that in many, many movies I remember growing up seeing uh, women coming out and other women like invalidating them and telling them, oh, but it's fine, like it's just a phase, you know? I had my lesbian phase in college honey, you're gay, period. Yeah, I feel like I saw it a lot in Hollywood movies and like in TV shows, again, mostly like American ones. They were just like, oh yeah, I obviously kiss women in college. And like, why is that a stereotype that women just do that in college and then like, I don't know, I don't understand it. It really does invalidate queer characters and queerness in general. Also, when you said, like, why is it only women that do this? Uh, there's also a misrepresentation or underrepresentation of trans men in media, which we also actually didn't talk much about. Uh, but it's really worth mentioning that with these stereotypes, you know, it's to certain people only. So, how this happens with, oh, all women have this lesbian face, and then transness is usually kind of just associated with trans women for a reason I think it's kind of interesting to think about this I never thought about it before but as you mentioned it now it made me think of the fact that like um, somehow maybe there's not as much representation and as much talk because it's somehow more acceptable to want to be a man rather than to want to be a woman from a man's position because as we said before women are seen as inferior and their interests and being a woman is seen as inferior and it makes less sense somehow to become a woman than to want to become a man from a woman. 
So I don't know. I think that's just a thought I had. I, there's no research behind it, but yeah, it's interesting to think about maybe. Now we've given you an overview of the male gaze, but actually there is a counter argument that is the female gaze, and it's actually becoming hopefully more and more popular um, because it's um, a position that tries to counter the objectification of women and trans people and queer people in general. It's a pretty new concept, but it's also a kind of empowerment to shift the conversation on the other side and try to actively change things. I would say an example of this, I mean, there are many, and it's also, as Sarah was saying, a pretty new concept. So there is no clear, I would say, or set definition of how the female gaze is supposed to be, but it's rather like a response to the male gaze. And there's this example that it's a movie that I watched recently and it's quite controversial, but there were several parts of it that I really liked, which is A Promising Young Woman. And I remember very clearly, like I would say, maybe the first scene in the movie, it's a dance floor, but instead of showing us the the body of women dancing, it was just the body of men dancing, which is just a parody of the male gaze, because of course it wasn't like sexy to watch those men dancing, you know, <laughs> but it was just like showing us very clearly this is like the response to that female, the, to that male gaze, sorry, that we've been having for so long. Yeah, I think it's interesting to think about because there is, I guess, as we said, it's not really established. So there is a female gaze that focuses more on um, kind of empowering women and seeing them from more uh, three-dimensional um, point of view. But it's also, it can be, as you mentioned, a way to just do the exact same just for men and to kind of objectify men instead, which personally I'm not fully with. I guess it's kind of interesting to paradise what is happening, but yeah, it's just, uh, it's it's interesting. Yes, I agree, Maria, actually. And I mean, we're going to talk about this in the next episode about feminism and the fact that we don't want equality, we want liberation. Yeah, and actually we hope that the female gaze is going to provide a way around the representation of people. So, for example, we were talking the other day about Pose and how good of a representation it was. Well, I guess now here we're trying to be a bit more hopeful and give you maybe some recommendations to watch that are kind of better representations uh, than the ones we've been kind of criticizing so far. Um, One thing that I've been really obsessed with lately is Euphoria. It's a show by HBO. And... There's this character called Jules, and this character is trans, but there is never any full discussion of the transness. It's just there, and it feels normal, and the character has a lot more to deal with than their transness. Uh, And there's only one episode recently that's kind of like an extra one that uh, does discuss transness, but it does so in such a, like, beautiful way because the character, no, the actress, is trans herself, and it's kind of her own way of expressing her feelings about transness as well. So I thought it was really beautiful. Yeah, and actually what we really want to suggest you watch that episode because it's a there's it's a monologue and it talks a lot about the male gaze. And yeah, if you have time, just watch it because it's amazing. Another recommendation is Portrait of a Lady on Fire, um, which is a really good example of what 
women loving women looks like from a female perspective and in this case the director herself Celine Siama if I didn't pronounce that wrong it's uh, herself part of the LGBTQ community uh, which as we were saying it's really important because it's representation within other circles that are not just um, actors themselves but directors or etc yes and actually the same story follows for pose a netflix tv series uh, which again we highly suggest um pose is actually trans-led so the representation there is so good not only in terms of showing the struggles that trans women go through and actually also like um queer people in general during the AIDS uh, pandemic, but also in terms of representation when it comes to who's acting who, you know, like trans women playing trans women, queer people playing queer people, you know. With all these recommendations, um, we hope we can shed some light into all these topics that we've talked about because we did criticize a lot, but there is also a lot to take from this um, in a positive way because there are good representations. Uh, but yeah, going back to what we've said so far, we talked about how important uh, representation really is. We hope you can now know why representation matters and what are the effects of it going bad, um, leading to misrepresentation and leading to shaping the mass culture, as Adorno and Horkheimer said. Yeah, so you said the consequences. But I would also argue that there is still like array of light because we also see new movements countering that male gaze and other shows that do have a well-rounded representation of minorities or um, also include people of those minorities in the production teams of these shows. Yes, and actually this also very much shows the importance of representation in politics. Because, you know, if we're so much um, affected by media representation, you know, I hear people saying, oh, but why does it matter if it's a white person or a man or a heterosexual or whatever, like, in politics? The important thing is they're good politicians, you know? Yes, but there is a degree of positionality. Like, why are men deciding for women? You know, why are straight people deciding on laws for queer people? So, yeah, just question why it is so important. Thank you, Sarah, for sharing your thoughts on the importance of this in politics as well. And I would say with that, we can finish this episode, but don't forget to ask whenever you're not sure about the representation of people that you see in the media. Look around, Google it, try to find non-mainstream representations because they are out there it's just not what it's getting into your feed probably and with that don't forget to watch Disclosure it's a Netflix otherwise ask one of your friends for their Netflix password follow us on Instagram for more recommendations on these topics readings and other people to follow on Instagram and see you next month where we talk about feminism feminism